Welcome back. I always know the Sunday night crowd on Labor Day weekend is the, uh, the most intense hardcore of a spiritual body. Uh, we are grateful that you are here and glad that you could be with us. Took the time to come out. We are going to hopefully continue to encourage you tonight with a story from an Old Testament character. And uh, we have been on Sunday nights talking about unswerving, this idea that uh, we want to keep our faith uh, unswerving and keep our hope unswerving. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. It's, again, not about our uh, faith that does the work. It's about he who promised and how faithful he is to us. So we're thankful to have this opportunity to talk about these things tonight. Tonight I want to share with you, as we begin, a story of a man by the name of Mabba Gatho. Mabba Gatho uh, is 145 years old, and he looks every bit of it. He is on a record, at least uh, so far, has not been independently verified, uh, but in 1992, he had a gravestone produced for himself. 1992, mind you, 24 years ago, uh, which you think would be reasonable for a, a man who is 140. Uh, I'm sorry, 121 years old. Uh, probably time to go ahead and do some funeral planning. Well, 24 years later, he still hasn't used it. Gatha lives in Indonesia, his official documentation stating his date of birth as being December 31st, 1870. This makes him 23 years older than the official oldest recorded person uh, up until recently, Jean Calment. And she died in 1997. I think she lived to be like 122 or something. While Gatha's age is impressive, he has now outlived 10 siblings, four wives, the most recent of whom died in 1988, and his children. And when he asks the secret to such a long life, Gatho said, the recipe is just patience. Maybe the understatement of the year in Gatho's case. There is a patient man. Uh, having been increasingly frail in recent months, the story says Gatho now needs assistant to eat and to bathe. He also spends most of his time listening to the radio and while uh, his eyesight is too poor to watch television. Here's a quote from Gatho. You ready for these inspirational words? What I want is to die. My grandchildren are all independent, he told a local news network this week, admitting he began preparing for his death in 1992 at the age of 122. This is the best example I can think of someone who is old, and yet getting old doesn't have to, anything to do with your age. Getting old has a lot to do with your outlook, your attitude, and your purpose. Tonight, I want to look at a guy who, though he was old, I believe he was young at heart. He had energy and faith and vitality. He was uh, renewed by God's constant provision. 
He was courageous in spite of his enemies. And he was unwilling to let go of the promise that God had made. He knew that God was faithful. Our character tonight is Caleb. Caleb was a, talk about an encouraging character. Um, there's a New Testament verse in 2 Corinthians 4.16 that says, Though outwardly we don't lose heart, there outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. That's a Caleb verse, as we will see in the story tonight. Some heroes of faith have a particular character trait. Abraham was known, of course, by his faith. Scripture says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. David was a man of passion, a man after God's own heart. Moses, as we talked about last week, is the man of meekness, the meekest man who ever lived. Tonight's character, Mr. Caleb, is a man of incredible courage. Of particular interest is the fact that he never swerved from that faith. In spite of his age, in spite of his enemies, in spite of difficulties, in spite of even his own brothers of Israel, Caleb trusted God wholeheartedly. If anyone could encourage us in our faith, it would be him. So I hope you'll turn with me. Uh, we will be looking at the part of the story from Joshua, but before we do, I want to give you some just a little bit of background information since this is the Sunday night crowd here on Labor Day weekend, I know you have come for the deeper study. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, if you are following along, that would be in the text where you want to go. Um, <clears throat> Moses chooses 12 men. You know the story. They were leaders of the tribe. Caleb, at age 40, was the head of the tribe of Judah, which is interesting because that's the same tribe of David and, of course, later on, Jesus. Caleb and Joshua, along with ten other men, go into Canaan. They were sent into Canaan, rather, to see if the land was good or bad. <clears throat> Whether the land that God had promised, uh, not if it was worth fighting for, but just exactly what they were fighting for. After 40 days of due diligence, the spies brought back a good news, bad news report. The good news, the land is fertile. There's huge fruit, which I've never heard anybody get that excited about fruit, but apparently it was good. Milk and honey everywhere. And, and generally, this place was amazing. The bad news is, we can't do it. There's no way. What did God send us here to do? It would have been better for us to just die. The cities are large, are surrounded by walls. The people are hostile. The people are large. The ten spies of those twelve were fearful. And, and if I'm honest and objective, rightfully so. Who wouldn't be? Maybe Caleb was afraid too. But, and this is important, he didn't let his fear override his faith. He didn't let go of faith just because he became afraid, because he came up against something that was much, much bigger than he was. He urged Moses and the people of Israel, this is in chapter, uh, verse 30 of chapter 13 of Numbers. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Shh, shh, shh. 
then he says, we should go up and take the land, for we certainly can do it. Caleb, what are you talking about? If you looked around, you looked at this ragtag bunch of people, and you're, you saw them, you saw their cities. What, what is the problem with your reasoning here? That's just it. Caleb wasn't depending on his own reason. He was depending on the God who had brought them there. But the fearful report of the ten spies ended up winning or maybe losing the day. And uh, it scared the people so much that the scripture says they wept all night. And they longed for the days of slavery in Egypt. I just finished a book, fascinating book, called Twelve Years a Slave. And the book is a first-hand account written of a man, of a, a free black man who, uh, through a series of circumstances, was betrayed and sold into slavery. He was born free, he was living free in the state of New York, and he was betrayed by some friends, and he was sold into slavery. And he was enslaved for 12 years, 12 hard, grueling years. And he describes them in meticulous detail. It was awful from the food to how they were treated to the whippings uh, to every part of it. it. It was just an unbelievable story. I had seen the movie, but reading the book was uh, ten times more eye-opening. To hear this from his own account. Now, slavery as the institution is, is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And to think that the Israelites having grown up for a generation in slavery, come to a point where the victory that God wants them to have seems so big that they'd rather go back and live in the misery and the, the absolute horrid conditions of slavery as opposed to try to attempt what God had promised them. Isn't that amazing? Joshua and Caleb again pleaded with the people to trust God. This is Numbers 14, 6 through 9, if you're following along. When the people complained that they could not go up to conquer the land, both Caleb and Joshua responded strongly. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jepuanah, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will not only lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And yet the people, the people were too fearful. In fact, Caleb and Joshua's faith made them so angry. The scripture tells us they were ready to stone them on the spot. Think about that. They're ready to kill two of their own. They're ready to go back and, and live in slavery as opposed to take hold of what God has promised. The people ran from God's promise and chose instead to wander in the wilderness for a generation until all the adults, except Joshua and Caleb, of course, died. 
Throughout that generation, God never forgot Caleb, nor did he forget Caleb's faith and leave it unrewarded. He promised him that one day, one day, all the land that he saw as a spy, he would walk through as an owner. After the death of Moses, 40 years later, Joshua led the people across the Jordan back into the promised land, which brings us to tonight's text. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. Now, Scripture records it this way. The, people, the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jepuanah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. I love this. Uh, We'll hear this again about Caleb, how wholehearted he was. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time, since that time, he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. That the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out of this land. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jepuanah, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jepuanah, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And I love Caleb's faith. And, and this is the first thing I think we ought to get about Caleb's faith. Number one is he never wavered. He had spent 40 days seeing what God had in store. He would spend 40 years wandering Waiting while God got Egypt out of Israel. He would spend five years fighting old enemies and old battles that should have been won long ago. But God was Caleb's constant. He was his, as we said this morning, his bedrock. He didn't let go, even though the battle seemed difficult and long. Caleb's... Faith reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, a New Testament verse that says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He was so committed and faithful and persistent. Interesting little side note here. In my study, I found out that the Caleb 
The Hebrew name for Caleb means dog. Doesn't sound too flattering. But consider this. Can you think of a creature with such unflappable faith and devotion to his master as a dog? How many of you are dog owners in here? Sorry to offend you, cat lovers. Okay. Is there anything more faithful and loving and sincere and obedient? Well, I mean, you know, when, not when they're a puppy, but eventually they get there. What a great namesake. I know some people might look at that as kind of a, de- a denigration. Believe me, I, I'm a guy with the name of Toby, okay? But there is a beauty that I love, and I, I wish I knew the story maybe behind why they chose that name. But his unflappable, unshakable faith and devotion reminds me very much of many uh, beloved canines that I've had over the years. At 85, surely, surely Caleb's eyesight, hearing, memory, body, all that stuff had to have been wearing out. I notice this now that I minister to a whole congregation, that when you get around a bunch of folks who are over 50, they tend to talk about the ways in which they're falling apart. It's just a whole conversation. It scares me. I'm not sure. You've got to be tough. But though Caleb was older, though his body certainly was less strong physically than it would have been when he was 40, I think Caleb was stronger. I think his faith was mightier. I think his trust was tenfold of what it had been. It had to have been to have seen what he saw and to not be able to take hold of it and then to have to wander for 40 years and then to have to fight those battles again. It's easy sometimes to think that just because you're getting older, you don't have anything to offer. And I I want to tell you that life's experiences can either increase or decrease your faith. If you allow them to increase your faith and you become a Caleb in your faith, you inspire a whole new generation. He was the oldest man in the whole country of Israel when he spoke those words. And yet in his heart, don't you know Joshua can close his eyes? He can still taste the grapes. He can still smell the soil, feel it running through his fingers. He can hear in his mind the enemies fleeing in fear from God. And he still smiles at what God is going to do. God knew Caleb's faith and he rewarded it. But my servant Caleb, Because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. It's a sort of a compliment to be weird, sort of a compliment to be called different. If you are, uh, see that as a strength, not as a weakness. Caleb's faith never wavered. Secondly, Caleb's strength didn't shrink. His confidence was not in his own ability to fight as it was in the complete trust of God. In that regard, that had only grown for Caleb. It had only improved. Give me 
this mountain, or some translations say, give me this hill country. Most translations say that, which is not as inspiring a speech as, give me this mountain. But, so that we're accurate, what's interesting here is, when he's talking about, give me this land, he's not just talking about land. What land do you want me to give you, Caleb? Yeah, give me that one over there. That land, full of the giants, that's the land you want. I want the small, you know, waterside piece of land, unoccupied, or if occupied, occupied by very small people, unarmed, pacifists. No, Caleb says, give me the, give me the mountains where the, the big people live, because I'm ready. I am ready to take it for God. I love that kind of faith. God promised Caleb that that he would take the land that he saw four decades ago. But this portion of the promised land was even more dangerous than all the rest, where the giants lived. Caleb was so assured of the promises of God that he gladly accepted the challenge to fight the giants and finally partake Finally, take the land. Interestingly enough, this faith, this strength will influence even another generation. The story is told. We're not going to go in-depth. But Caleb's nephew, Othniel, who would later become the first judge that we read of in the book of Judges, uh, he would help Caleb take the land and slay the giants. After they conquered, Caleb gave Joshua his daughter in marriage and some springs of the land. And their portion of it. Don't you know, as they went through that land and they cleared it out of the giants, that there had to be a a great teaching lesson there for old Othniel. Uncle Caleb, why are you still so angry? Uncle Caleb, what's this all about? Why didn't you take the good lane? Why didn't you take the easy lane? Why are we going through here fighting all these enemies? And Caleb shared his faith and told him some stories. Let me tell you about 45 years ago. Let me tell you what God did that we didn't do. And let me change that within my heart, and let me change that within your heart. Let's change this generation and rise to the occasion. Number three, Caleb's faith continued to grow. It was a faith that stood against the fear of the crowd. It was a faith that outlasted a lifetime of distraction. I mean, think how easy it would have been to give, an, to give up and quit. Have you ever been to the point of almost victory and then not get it? And then have to wait around to get it? And that's almost as discouraging as going to battle and losing. It's just, it, it's just so disheartening. But Caleb didn't lose heart. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 35 and 36, we hear these words again. No one from this evil generation shall see the good I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jepuanah. He will see it, and I will give it to him and his descendants, the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You following the Lord wholeheartedly? Uh, that's the only thing I can imagine that carried Caleb those 40 long years. His faith was ready to do battle. He was ready to do battles that were 
his to fight, that God had called him to fight. He wanted to be where the challenges were. That included uh, taking possession of the land. Caleb Saith believed in the victory. God bless Caleb for his faithfulness and his patience. What a great reminder to those who trust in the promises of God. That if we're faithful to God and patient for the victory of God, God will reward it richly. We cannot make God's promises happen. Yet, we like Caleb should be prepared to follow God, to battle for God, to claim the victory when it's promised. You see, in our world today, it's a lot of you know, importance on making sure we give children and everybody self-confidence. So, so they go to a sporting event and everyone gets a trophy. And I understand at certain ages, maybe that's okay, but the importance here, what gave Caleb the ability to have the victory, was not self-confidence. It was Savior confidence. It, it was not trust in himself. It was trust in his Savior, his Redeemer, his Deliverer. He understood. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a verse you probably know well. Without faith, it is impossible. It's impossible to please God. Because he who comes to God must not only believe that he exists, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Oh, I can't read that verse without thinking of the inspiring example set by Caleb. In his faith, in his strength, in his ability to trust God fully. So what lessons can we learn? Well, number one, have the right perspective. Age is really mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I tell you that not as someone who's old. I hope to be old someday, but I will tell you as someone who's young, my age has worked against me my whole life. I graduated from high school at 17, from college when I was 20. Uh, I came on here and I had not yet turned 22. Or 20, yeah, 2001, yeah, I would have been 21. <laughs> so I was 20. When I interviewed, the youth ministry search team said, send us a resume and send us a picture. Okay. I thought nothing of it. I sent an engagement picture of Christy and I that was, at that point would have been a year old. So I sent it in by mail. I wait for a return call. I get it. And what I hear on the other line is, oh, Toby, I don't know. What do you mean? I mean, you're not much older than some of our kids. Fair enough. You're right. And I said, I, you know, if that ends the interview, that's okay. There's nothing I can do about my age except... Try to set an example by faith and, and trust in God and uh, by living as he calls me to live. But it goes on the other end as well. I know in the church, I've heard it. Some people have said, 
You know, it's time to let someone else do that. You know, I, I've served for many years faithfully in the church, and we've got a lot of young people, teenagers, they look excited, and so let's let them do it. And I'm not saying we all shouldn't work together, but if you think that there's retirement from the kingdom of God, you have a misunderstanding about the people of God and what it means. God doesn't set a retirement age. I hope to go, as many Northsiders have gone, serving, loving, encouraging, doing everything that I was physically able to do to build the kingdom of God. Not just here at Northside, all throughout history, so many examples of people who didn't pay attention to their age. Abram was a hundred when his son Isaac was born. He had waited a fourth of his life. Sarah was 90. Moses was 80 when he led the children out of Egypt. Simeon was an old man when he beheld in his arms the baby Jesus. Stafford North, professor at Oklahoma Christian, I guess he's not professor there anymore, but... Uh, he was still teaching and writing and inspiring and taking on projects and, and managing the good news email campaign well into his 80s because he understood that age is simply mind over matter. That's not to discount the realities of getting older. I, as I said, I realize the body doesn't do what it used to be able to do. But... Heaven forbid that you look at yourself and say, I have nothing left to offer the kingdom. That's not it at all. We have people that grade Bible correspondence courses, people that send out birthday cards, people that call up other people on the phone. There is still much good that can be done. So, number two, don't retire on God. And I don't care what age you are. I mean, don't set in your mind that at age... 58 and a half, or whatever it might be, that I'm done. That I've served all I have to serve. Don't quit. Don't drop out of all responsibility. We need the energy of youth, but we also need the example, and most importantly, the wisdom of those who are older. I love that we've started back these intergenerational classes on Wednesday nights. And if you haven't partook, we just had one, this, we started this last Wednesday, I hope you'll come and, and participate. It's a group of people that vary in age. I mean, our group had probably the youngest age, 13, 14, all the way up to 73, 74. That's great. There is so much life experience in that room, and it's wonderful when we can hear people that are devoted to Christ, regardless of their age. I'm inspired by Northside examples. Uh, Clint Petty, who, who served as an elder before me, but, but was a man of much vision as he served as an elder. And he's, my opinion, still sets a wonderful example. Wayne Williams, affectionately Uncle Wayne, as called by some. He'll still call into the office every now and again. But what did he do? 
He led, he led, and he said, Northside can do Know Your Bible. And here we stand 30 years later. I love those examples. Those are great stories. I'm looking forward to some new stories of some people who take hold of some very large mountains and say, let's go there. But they're full of giants, you say. Yes, even better. Number three, old age is a blessing. If God permits you to live long, then continue to serve and inspire and guide those who are younger than you. Remember what John wrote in Revelation chapter 2? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. If you're older, you should appreciate it for the blessing that it is. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 31 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. In our culture, it's not not seen that way. And I look in the mirror occasionally and I see I'm getting a couple of grays myself. I think that's kind of cool. I know. I'm not as relevant and hip as I used to be. But now, people know it's not my first rodeo. I've got a little bit of experience. The green is starting to wear off. It's, it's a great time. And even though your culture less and less values and respects age, which, by the way, is a terrible mark of any culture, I hope you'll realize what a blessing it is. And if you're fortunate enough to get a great prayer pal, someone who inspires you, who's lived a full life in Christ, I hope you take advantage of that blessing. I hope you sit down with them and, and go get a Coke or something and just listen to some of their stories. Because they'll teach you in, in 40 minutes what took them 40 years to learn. You'll be so much wiser and so much more blessed if you listen to those crowns of splendor. Be a good steward of the time that God gave you. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 32 says to the younger, Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God, for I am the Lord. Just think if we would... Occasionally, now and then, listen to the wisdom of the years, how much wiser we ourselves would be. Well, there are some lessons from Caleb's life for all of us, and I hope that has encouraged you and inspired you. I'd be remiss if I didn't invite you to the invitation we offer at every time of worship, which is to put your life in submission to God through Christ in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't done that, then the Bible says you're not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're not ready for eternity. And I don't say that lightly. I, I, I want everyone to be ready for eternity. If you're here tonight and you're not, and you're ready, please come. We'd like to help you. And if you're in Christ, but you could use some prayers or encouragement, come. I'll be waiting down front. Be happy to help you in any way that we can.